someone can have empathy more if you are more vulnerable and sharing that you're sad and hurt about something, which I think is at the root of anyone being angry is that they're actually really sad and hurt. Their feelings are hurt about whatever happened. I'm Lindsay. I'm here to teach you proven strategies to be your own therapist that will take you from anxious to relieved. I'm here to help you feel lighter and hopeful while building a life full of meaning. I'm a licensed anxiety therapist running a successful private practice in New York City. So from someone that gives therapy and has been in therapy, I'm here to help you use the formula that moved me forward through serious anxiety in my own life. So follow along as I share what works and what doesn't. This is Unlock Your Therapy. Welcome to the Unlock Your Therapy podcast. This is session number seven. Thanks for joining me today. There's a little construction happening next door. So if you can hear that in the background, I apologize. So for today's podcast, I have a really interesting lineup of topics for us today. First up is high and low, where I share a little bit about my personal life. I share what's been going well for me this week and the things that are not going so well. I'm sure people can relate to that. And it just goes to show the ups and downs of life, right? So for high and low today, I'm just going to go over a little bit of a health journey with you. And my low is just related again, to juggling children and work during the summertime, which everyone can relate to. Then we're going to jump into anxiety. For today's hot topic, where we discuss all interesting, relevant, new topics in mental health, in the media, we spill the tea, we talk about the hot gas. Today is medication for anxiety. So this is definitely always a relevant hot topic. It's one of the most Googled things when it comes to anxiety and mental health. I know because I look at Google Trends regularly. And specifically beta blockers for anxiety. I don't know if people have heard about beta blockers being used for anxiety, but They are, and that more specifically is even more Googled than the rest of the medications for anxiety. But I'm going to get into my take on medication. People ask me about medication for anxiety regularly. So I definitely have some personal thoughts, a personal journey to share with you, and what I think is helpful or not. After that, we're going to dive into skill of the week. Going right along with the theme of assertiveness skills, which is related to interpersonal relationships, interpersonal skills, how can we sharpen those tools of being assertive, not overly assertive, not too passive. And today I'm going to tell you the three things you need to think of before a confrontation with somebody. And that will determine how you then handle that situation. So I like to think of it this way because there's only three different categories and three different ways to handle the conflict. After Skill of the Week, I give you a great action item to practice this week. Something simple, you've probably heard of it before, but it's 
extremely helpful at de-escalating conflict. Again, goes into assertiveness skills, and then that will lead into my No More People Pleasing mini course that you can get for $29 if you sign up on my interest list on Instagram right now before it actually launches. The price is going to go up immediately, and you also get a free gift as my thank you. So today for my high, so I have two highs actually. So my first high is related to my health journey. My value right now that I'm focused on is health. It's not the only one, but I try to think of just about two values where I'm shining my spotlight at the time. This way I'm not overwhelmed with all of these things I'm trying to improve in my life and trying to work on and trying to be the best at this or that. I try just to narrow it down to two areas I'm interested in and health is definitely one of those right now. So I had a baby six months ago, my little baby Everett. So my health is definitely coming into focus now that I feel like I'm six months postpartum. I feel I have a little more of a handle on things. I feel I'm adjusting more to having two kids. Everett is a dream sleeper. We've also worked on Carson's sleep because he's been needing me to sleep in there for him to fall asleep and comfort him if he wakes up in the night. And we've re-sleep trained him a little bit. And now he's doing amazing, actually. I'm pleasantly surprised. And I feel I can really focus in on my health. So my high is that I've been going running. I used to be a big runner. And since having children, it's just been, you know, here and there when I can, when I feel like it, when I get a surge of random motivation. So I do have that surge of motivation and I'm trying to get back into it slowly. I can tell my body is like, whoa, what are we doing here with exercising and running all of a sudden? But I'm just taking it really slow. Like I'm just running a mile to two miles at a time right now. And I've been loving it. I just, my body remembers how to do it. It's that great feeling I get after I do it. Right now it's super hard. Like I can't breathe. It's 90 degrees out. I have to stop and drink my water. My legs are sore just from running a mile and a half yesterday, but I'm really enjoying it. The thing I love about running is it gets me outside in nature. And I absolutely love being outside in nature. I've done a few half marathons. I trained for a full marathon, never made it to the marathon because I got stress fractures in both my tibias from training, but I did get all the way up to 16 miles, which I'm proud of. And the thing I loved the most about that was it forced me to find somewhere to run most of the days during the week. Not every day, but five days a week I'd be running. And after work, I would drive to a state park on the way home. I would find random trails on the way home. I would look on Google Maps, find new places to go running at to keep it interesting. So I absolutely loved that. And I really just miss being outdoors as frequently as I was when I was training for that marathon. So I'm trying to get back into that. I'm doing it a few times a week and just taking it really slow and I'm really enjoying it. 
So that's one of my highs. The other high is that a playground near my house, it's a brand new playground. It only opened shortly after we moved here, like two and a half years ago. And then it closed down like six months ago for repairs to the sprinkler system, which never worked. They have like a splash pad in the park and it's never been workable. And they repaired it and it just reopened. So I'm really excited. I did write to our New York City council person or whatever to get an update on the park, let them know that it's the middle of summer. Why is the playground closed down? The park is brand new, beautiful, and it was closed for like six months just for the slow project they were doing. So anyway, the high is that it reopened. It has a beautiful sprinkler that works now. Carson loves it. And I took him last night. He had a great time. And then this morning, I took both the kids. I have a double stroller. And I took them both to the park. And that was so nice. Carson's like a little more calm in some areas that he wasn't before in that he'll sit on the little bench part of the stroller that's meant for toddlers. And I'll actually sit there and just enjoy the ride to the park. Whereas before he would probably like run down the street full force and not listen to me at all. So in these little ways, it's nice to see him like take it down a notch so that we can do things with me and the two kids safely. And I can walk right to the park through the neighborhood, enjoy the time with him there and Everett. And so that's another high of my week. My low is just continuing the struggle. Moms, I know you get it. I know you see me juggling the childcare, the house chores, the housework, working from home, trying to make sure Carson's having like the summer of his life, even though he's three and he's fine. But just trying to do everything, it's it's a little much. So I am looking forward to September. I think I'm putting both kids in school. I mean, definitely Carson's going to 3K. I think Everett's going to go also to the same school for daycare. So the end is near, sadly. I love the summer, but I also love childcare. <laughs> okay, let's segue over to anxiety. Today is about medication for anxiety. So just to share personally, I have taken medication for anxiety in college. I had severe anxiety, if you know my story, which is on my website, and I share it on Instagram and all these places. I had severe anxiety in college. I wound up in the emergency room with severe anxiety. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I knew it was anxiety, but I needed it to stop. Like it was so high, so elevated. I felt just this, this was the worst feeling I could possibly have ever. And they gave me medication to just help take the edge off a little bit, probably like Xanax or Ativan or I don't know what it was, but, um, it was helpful just to hold me over until I can see a psychiatrist. I got into therapy at my college counseling center. I went on Paxil. This was a long time ago. And it was very helpful. I'll say it was helpful and what I needed at the time for sure. It just took the edge off of that intense, high-level anxiety I was having daily to the point of it was really interfering in my functioning. 
I just felt so anxious and uncomfortable in my own skin every day when I'd wake up, I'd open my eyes, I would be highly anxious, just really 24 seven, except when I was sleeping, I guess. So I think medication is so helpful if you're at a really high level of anxiety that's so physically uncomfortable to help you get back down to a baseline of being able to benefit from other interventions. Because if you're at such a high level of anxiety where you're not really functioning that well, like I was, you know, showering, going to class and working, but I wasn't doing well. I really wasn't doing well. I think medications needed just to bring you back down for a little while, calm everything down so that then you could go to therapy, benefit from therapy. You're in a better place to be able to actually listen to what a therapist has to say, try to put some things in place, try to gain a new perspective with your anxiety, try to just see things a little more clearly. If you're so anxious, you're not going to be able to do that because you're just too overwhelmed to take in any of that. Like you're in crisis mode, like it's an emergency. So I think it's really helpful to bring you back down to a healthier baseline. The cons of anxiety medication is, yes, there's some side effects. I didn't find them to be horrible for myself, but there is headaches, you get nauseous, dizzy. Um, Those things tend to adjust though after a few weeks. There is a lot of sexual side effects of mental health medications, often just the inability to climax during sex. There's a lot of different functioning issues, especially for men. There's a lot of things that come up with any mental health medication. So that's the number one side effect, as well as just other inconvenient side effects. But they do go away after time. So I think medication, there's a need for it. The other con of medication, though, is it's not a permanent fix. It's not like you take the anxiety medication and it fixes the root cause of anxiety. It calms everything down, brings it down to a peaceful place, but it doesn't get rid of the origin of the anxiety. So if you stop taking anxiety medication over time, your anxiety might resurface, but it may not come back to the heightened level you were having it to begin with. So for example, if you go on medication, you're on it for like six months, You during that time you're in therapy or you're doing things that help you to get a hold of your anxiety, whether that's reading self-help books, doing yoga, going for walks, whatever it is for you that you feel like you're working on your stress levels, coping with your stress, getting in touch with your anxiety, acknowledging that you have anxiety, and then you come off the medication, your anxiety might come back, but maybe it's only going to come back like 50%. And you have all these good tools and skills you've been working on while you've been on the medication. So then when you come off of it, you're in a much better place to cope and to deal. So you're really doing things that are going to help just lower your stress level, acknowledge when you feel anxious, acknowledge emotions you're having, feelings you're having, and you're doing things a bit differently, you're going to be in a much better place. So. It doesn't cure anxiety, but it really helps bring it down so then you could benefit from the other things that help. So I hope that's not too confusing. I don't think it's a long-term like forever solution, 
But for some people, it could be. I mean, some people, their anxiety is just too high when they're not on some medication. And sometimes you can be on the lowest dose of an anxiety medication. It just keeps you in a good place. And maybe you need that even while you're in therapy and doing other things as well. Some people are just different. It's a personal choice and there's no judgment either way. It's not like you're weak if you need anxiety medication, toughen up, just get through it. No, absolutely not. It's extremely helpful for people. There's a time and place for it. Absolutely. So that's my spiel on regular anxiety medication. I also wanted to touch on beta blockers because I didn't realize this was such a thing, but beta blockers, which are usually for blood pressure, are being used as anti-anxiety medications in a short-term situation. So for example, I actually heard this on another podcast of someone who has to give like lectures or public speaking or do pitches for their job and they get very anxious and worked up. Their voice shakes, they sweat. So their doctor gives them beta blockers and they take one before they have to do a major presentation. And what a beta blocker does is it blocks adrenaline from the beta block, from the beta sensors in the heart. Sorry, I'm not saying this very clearly. (laughs) So When you're anxious, adrenaline gets dumped into your bloodstream. And what a beta blocker does is it blocks the adrenaline from being pretty much picked up or sensed by the heart, which means your heart doesn't pump faster and get all crazy and stressed out. So when your heart pumps faster, it causes your breathing to get faster. You get sweaty, start sweating, your voice trembles, all these things happen as a result of your heart pumping super fast from adrenaline, there's adrenaline surging through your body. So a beta blocker stops all that from happening. So there's adrenaline there, but it's not being picked up by the sensors. So it allows you to give a speech without any you know, problems of people detecting that you're anxious. You don't feel anxious at all. You feel super calm. I mean, I've never tried it. It sounds amazing, but again, it's a short-term solution. So beta blockers are really meant to be used for a specific stressful event, possibly flying. I'm not sure. I know Xanax is usually used for flying or Ativan or something that's just, you know, you take it once, it calms you down to get through your flight and then you're good. And I do think there's a high need for that as well. And that's a great thing. You know, I think short-term solutions for these things can be really helpful. As long as they're not habit-forming or addictive, I think they're needed for people. I was reading about the beta blockers, and it said it's not useful or hasn't been proven useful in the research for social phobias. So I found that to be interesting. So I guess if you have like agoraphobia or some kind of social anxiety, a beta blocker is not found to be useful for that. I'm not sure why, but that was interesting to read. So there you have it. There's beta blockers and all different kinds of anti-anxiety medications. I'm not a doctor. Please speak to your doctor if you're interested in hearing more about medications. But I do think no matter what you Google about anxiety medications, beta blockers, whatever, all of it says that it should be used in conjunction with therapy. And psychiatrists or psychiatric nurse practitioners, PAs that are trained in prescribing psychiatric medications, 
There's even some states that allow social workers, I think, to get some kind of license, a higher license to be a prescriber. Can't do that in New York, but other states, I think you can, which is very interesting. But psychiatrists and other medical professionals that prescribe medications are typically not trained in therapy. It's not the same as a therapist. So you should have both. And why not have both? A psychiatrist or nurse practitioner, someone prescribing your psychiatric medication, and a therapist, someone you talk to and talk things out with, get a new perspective, get skills, get techniques to use, get more insight and more perspective, someone to help you build a meaningful life, to help counteract the anxiety, doing things through the anxiety, all of that jazz. Why not have both? I think that's the way to go. And all the research points to the best outcomes are with medication and therapy for people who have severe anxiety. And certainly you could benefit from either or. I also think one more pro about medication is for people that lack the insight of being anxious and that they could benefit from therapy and all of that, if they really aren't going to be open-minded, they're not that insightful, it's kind of too threatening to them to talk about themselves, they're a little too defensive, I think medication is the way to go because why suffer? for no reason. At least those people can benefit from having lower anxiety through medication. If they're really not going to go to therapy, they're not going to do things that help them in that way of really changing how they're operating and behaving. If they're not open enough to that, that's not going to help them. So medication can at least make them not anxious. I created something brand new, the No More People Pleasing mini course. I help women to stop people pleasing and put themselves first without the guilt. What would life look like if you could stop asking your partner to order food for you in a restaurant or ask your boss for that raise you're long overdue for? I'm gonna teach you four proven strategies, research proven strategies that's gonna bring you from people-pleasing and passive to empowered and confident. You're gonna use my outline, my scripts, my beautifully designed PDFs to get the exact skills you need to become more assertive in your life. I'm gonna teach you four skills through my videos and worksheets that's gonna bring you to a place of confidence and being assertive in your life. You're gonna get my beautifully designed self-esteem daily journal to print out, my practice assignments to start changing your mindset and your behaviors. If you sign up now before I launch, you can get it for $29. That's the lowest it will ever be. And I'm giving everyone who signs up now a bonus gift. So go to at Unlock Your Therapy on Instagram, click the link in my bio to get on the list. Let's get into skill of the week. Skill of the week is all about what is your objective in a confrontation? So what are you talking about, Lindsay? So basically there's three objectives in any interaction with another human being. One is to get your objective met and that's it. Like you don't have a relationship with this person. You just want what you need. Number two, the objective is to preserve the relationship a bit more. So in your interaction with someone else who you're close with, 
or have a rocky relationship with, or just have a nice relationship and you want to preserve that relationship, the relationship is more important in that interaction. So you're going to act in a way that preserves the relationship more than anything else. Number three, the objective is to preserve your self-respect, and that's the most important. So the three things is getting your objective met, and that's it. Relationship is not important. Number two, relationship is the most important. And number three, your self-respect is the most important. So think through which of these are the most important in your interaction with someone. So for example, I go to Starbucks, I order a drink. I wait probably 20 minutes to get it because my Starbucks is always extremely crowded, even if I order it on the app. I pick up my drink. I realize, oh, this has sugar in it. I don't have sugar in my coffee. I bring it back up to the person who made it or whoever, and I say, this has sugar in it. I didn't order it like this. Can I please have a new cup of coffee? I don't care about preserving the relationship. Of course, I'm not going to be rude or disrespectful. I'm going to be nice about it, but my objective is to get my needs met. I ordered a $7 cup of coffee and I don't want sugar in it. So that's the number one objective. So I'm going to clearly be assertive, kind, of course, and state what I need. If the relationship is the most important, you're going to act differently. So for example, if I need to have a difficult conversation with, I don't know, my husband about something or my friend, right? If I need to have an important conversation with somebody or bring up something that's bothering me or say no to something someone's asking me to do a favor for them, but I really can't or I don't want to, I'm going to keep in mind that the relationship is my priority. And I'm also going to try to say no in a way that preserves that relationship. So I'm not just going to be like, no, I don't want to. That's rude. Trying to preserve the relationship. So I'll say, I really have a lot on my plate right now. I don't think I can add another thing to, you know, what I have going on this week. So you're declining in a nicer way that's preserving your relationship with that person. Number three, self-respect being the most important. So this could be, maybe it is with like an acquaintance, someone who's asking something of you, but you feel like they're not respectful of you and they don't ever put your needs first. You want to put your self-respect first. You're kind of maybe fed up with the situation. You want to preserve your self-respect. Or if you're talking to someone who's not very nice to you, someone you don't have a good relationship with, you want to preserve your self-respect first. That also doesn't mean being rude to people, but it does mean being assertive and maybe like a broken record, repeating your case, not giving in, appearing confident, having stronger body language. You're not backing down. You're reminding yourself to say no firmly to a request that they're making of you. So you're really putting yourself first. And I want you to think through which of these objectives are on the table for you before you go into a confrontation. If you, not, if you can, you can't always. Sometimes this happens on the spot. But this might just help you think through how then you're going to request something decline doing something for someone, ask someone for help. And in my mini course, I go over the exact scripts you can use, the different techniques to use, the strategies to use for each of these scenarios very clearly. Okay, action item this week. 
action item this week is to use I statements. I'm sure most people have heard of this, but it can slip our mind to actually do it. So I'm just bringing this to the forefront of your mind to use I statements, which is sharing how you are feeling, not speaking for someone else, not assuming something about someone else, not blaming or talking about someone else. For example, if you say, I feel really upset because you X, Y, Z. I'm not saying, oh, you always do this. You always do that to me. That's blaming, talking about the other person, or you don't even care. You're telling another person what they feel, not helpful. So just stick to how you're feeling. I feel this way because of X, Y, Z. No one can argue with how you feel. And I would even push you further to go with more vulnerable, softer feelings because that will de-escalate the situation better. So if I say, oh, I feel really sad and my feelings are hurt because of X, Y, Z versus I'm so angry at you because of X, Y, Z, right? It softens the emotions. And I think someone can have empathy more if you are more vulnerable and sharing that you're sad and hurt about something, which I think is at the root of anyone being angry, is that they're actually really sad and hurt. Their feelings are hurt about whatever happened. Anger is a bodyguard for sadness, you know? So trying to be more vulnerable and open, I think will let the other person have empathy and be able to relate to what you're saying. So using those I statements, And also just a side note, not letting things fester. So the more you use these skills, the more you're going to decrease conflict because you're communicating frequently how you feel. You're not letting things boil up and then exploding, right? That's going to damage a relationship much more than if you just communicate how you feel on an ongoing basis, not just letting things, you know, fester and build. I think that's it for this week. I don't want to share too much. There's so much in my course and there's a lot I'm going to be piggybacking on for next week's episode. So stay tuned. I hope you're all having a great summer and enjoying it and being in the moment because I think in August we can tend to be like, like as my husband says, August is the Sunday of the year, like the month. But I would encourage you to try to not take that on and stay in the moment of really enjoying and soaking in summer and not just feeling like it's just to prepare for back to school or back to work or whatever. Like you can prepare for all of that when it comes, but try to enjoy summer while it's here because trust me, it'll be winter soon enough. (laughs) So have a great week and stay tuned next week for more. Thanks.